Welcome to the Rapport Diamond Podcast. I'm Abby Kravitz. I had a chance to sit with the Managing Director of Lightbox, Steve Coe, on the anniversary of the launch of the De Beers lab-grown diamond brand. So Steve, uh, thanks, for, thanks for doing this and it's great to see you again. We're back in Vegas, um, one year later I guess, um, since the, the launch of Lightbox. And I, I expect you'll have a, a calmer show than last year. Um, certainly, but I thought maybe we'd start with giving over your experience in terms of, you know, how's, how's the industry's response been from your perspective um, to the Lightbox announcement over the last year? Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, it's been a very interesting, exciting year. I think we were all a little taken back when we first announced at this time last year just the uh, level of interest in Lightbox. But I think, you know, overall it's gone very well. I think we're very happy how the last 12 months has gone. Uh, we started trading with our e-commerce platform at the end of September last year. Uh, that's gone very well for us. I think with consumers, we're getting very positive feedback when we reach out to them, either via the e-commerce site or via the, the pop-ups that we've been holding. And I think the, in terms of the trade and the industry, uh, I think as once people got over perhaps the initial shock of the Lightbox launch, I think many people have, uh, you know, understood the logic and the merit of this. And, uh, you know, we've had many positive, encouraging messages of support since then. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it certainly um, sparked a debate in the industry. I think before the, the Lightbox announcement, there was more of a taboo about, um, you know, retailers carrying um, lab-grown diamonds and, um, and the trade being involved in the product um, at all. And it seemed that... Um, that with Lightbox it sort of gave almost a, a stamp of approval um, or um, a, a harsher reaction that, uh, you know, we, d we don't want anything to do with this and why is um, De Beers getting into the, the lab-grown space? Um, do, do you think there was an overreaction um, in, or, or there is an overreaction in general to, um, to lab-grown diamonds as a, as a product? I think, yeah, I mean, perhaps there was some taboo around this product to start with, but I think that's just natural in that people tend to be cautious about new technology, new, new developments. I mean, the reality is uh, lab-grown diamonds are a perfectly legitimate product as long as they're, they're marketed and sold in, in an appropriate way. I mean, I've heard this story that, you know, we've helped to legitimize the lab-grown diamond category. Perhaps that's true, perhaps it's not. I think that would have happened anyhow. You know, perhaps we may have accelerated the process somewhat, but it's a perfectly legitimate product, and I think, uh, uh, I, I think there's absolutely a, a bright future for it. Well, what was the discussion at, uh, at De Beers? Um, you know, if we think back, you know, three or five years ago when we started mulling the, the idea of um, moving into this space, what was the framework of the discussion at De Beers in terms of how it approaches um, this market? Was there the feeling that it was going to evolve and, and develop um, and grow um, anyway as a product, as you said? Well, I mean, I guess we've been fortunate that because the De Beers Group owns Element 6, we've had access to the technology to make lab-grown diamonds for a long time. So uh, I think, you know, we've been aware of the potential capability to make material like this. Um, I, you know, the discussions we've had, you know, starting off three, four years ago, were really, I think, there was a very wide realisation in the company, particularly at a senior level, that when a new technology like this comes along, you can't put it back in the box afterwards. It's going to exist, 
And, um, you know, really the question is, how do you take a technology like this and make a, an opportunity out of it rather than just regarding it as a threat? And I think that's very much the approach that we took. So, you know, we started off, I guess, three years ago now doing a lot of consumer research, going out there, talking to consumers and getting their input as to what they thought about this product. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of education to do in those sessions because, of course, at that point, very, many, very few consumers had actually really heard of lab-grown diamond or understood what it was. But what we found very consistently uh, when we actually explained to them what the product was and then we asked them, where would they like to see it? What would they like to be seen done with this product? Some very um, you know, common messages being repeated. Firstly, um, I think a very consistent message that you know, there's still a lot of excitement amongst consumers for natural diamond. Uh, and a particularly frequent message we got back for those milestone events in life, such as engagement or major anniversaries, consumers still very much saw that as the territory of natural diamond. But when they saw the lab-grown diamond product, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say they were intrigued by it. You know, they thought it sparkled, it looked great, and they could certainly see value in that. But the clear messages we got back for them were they saw that lab-grown product, certainly they expected it to be at a much more accessible and affordable price range um, because it was a manufactured product. But also they typically saw it um, for, if I can put it this way, more everyday gifting occasions. So not the major milestones, but um, self-purchase, gift for a a teenage daughter, uh, travel jewellery, gift for a best female friend. Uh, And those were very um, common, frequent messages we got back. So when we we came to take this forward, we very much used that as the basis for how we developed the, the Lightbox brand. To put it in an accessible price range, and the feedback we got from consumers was, you know, two hundred to a thousand dollars was probably really the the sweet spot for where this this product belonged, and you know, very much to open up the gifting occasions in which it would be appropriate for. Well, I mean, with, within that discussion, and I, I understand the philosophy when when you approach um, consumers. At the same time, there there, there was an there is an existing. Um, lab-grown industry and um, sort of a, a sort of a negative tone towards how they approach their marketing. Um, was that also part of, uh, of the discussion? Because in the last year, there, there's, um, you know, there, there's kind of, the way I see it is there are two aspects to, to um, a De Beers company being involved in, in lab-grown. The one is that it's, um, you know, it's a business opportunity for for the company, and it's certainly entitled to that. The, the second aspect is that the industry s- still really looks at De Beers as a leader in pushing the market in a certain, or not pushing, but or leading the market in a certain direction. And so one wonders if um, if there was a strategy to help structure the the lab-grown space in a in a different way, or, or move the the lab-grown industry in a in a different direction to which it was moving, so that w- so that it's not perceived as a as the threat that it's um that that it seems to be outside of the the light box space. I mean, I, I don't think realistically, you know, De Beers, even if it wanted to, has the power to position the lab-grown diamond industry anywhere. I think this is much more a case of us seeing what we saw as the opportunity, and we do think there's a very real opportunity there to create a business that could be largely additive rather than substitutional, and to, to, to develop that. 
understand entirely there are other lab-grown diamond producers out there taking a different direction. I think that's entirely up to them. I, I'm not really here to, to comment on what they're doing. I think we're just taking forward what we think is an exciting opportunity. I think you can treat it as perhaps an example of where we think there is an exciting space for this lab-grown diamond material to move, but you know we can't dictate what, what other people do. Right. So, I mean, I mean you, you've certainly positioned yourself in, um, in a certain segment within the lab-grown space, um, and that would be lower-priced fashion jewellery for fun occasions, let's say, um, not special occasions. Um, that said, there is an engagement ring market out there for, for lab-grown, um, which, uh, as, you, as you may or may not know, um, Rappaport has has come out quite strongly this um, this month about it. Martin wrote a wrote a piece, um, you know, saying that that retailers need to be careful about how they sell lab grown diamonds for those special occasions because um, consumers need to know that their purchase is going is likely going to lose value. How do you see the interplay between um, between natural and and, and lab-grown diamonds in those different segments, um, you know, are they going to at some point converge into into one sort of product range? Um, because if, um, according to your business model, there's a linear cost um, a, a cost structure, you know, the price of a, of an of an enga- uh, of an engagement ring type of lab-grown diamond should be really the same on the same structure as the as your fashion jewelry. Yeah, I mean, I think you you raised several points in that. I mean, I think firstly, we've made it very clear that in our product range and our brand, we're not going to be offering engagement rings um, for the very simple reason that, you know, when we did our initial consumer research, consumers very much told us that was a space they very much associated with, with natural diamond. So uh, we don't plan to enter into that space. Understand your point that other suppliers absolutely are active in that space. I think we'll have to see how successful they are in the fullness of time. Um, it's not not our plan to, to go into that area. Um, but again, others are free to do what, what they, they feel is appropriate for their business. Right. Um, but, but then again, there, there, is, there is always that comparison to the natural uh, diamond market. And, and of course, there is fashion um, jewellery in the, in the natural diamond space um, in your price range yep. as well. Um, you know, so so what what is the interplay between those two markets, between the the lab grown and the uh, natural diamond fashion jewelry, um, and you know, are, are they competing products um, on the fashion jewelry side? I, I think even in the fashion jewelry space, I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity here to expand the overall offering. I mean, a very important part of what we have in the light box range are coloured stones. And, you know, that I think is something which is not directly competing with natural diamond, because as we all know, coloured natural stones are incredibly rare and extremely valuable. And I don't think anyone would ever buy one of our stones as a, as a substitute for a, a coloured natural stone. But I think it's very exciting for us because I think we're making available to consumers a product which is effectively new and available to them for the very first time, because previously it was completely out the, the price range of most consumers. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think things like that are completely additive opportunities. And, you know, we're very encouraged by how consumers have reacted to our, our coloured stones. Um, 
roughly, it was actually just over 50% of the product we've sold so far on our e-commerce platform has actually been, been coloured stones, which mm-hmm. I think from a standing start is, is very exciting and a very strong s- signal that that's a, a very uh, uh, exciting opportunity for the future. Right. I mean, w- w- one of the things that I, that I always um, wondered about, and actually I remember when I first got into the industry and and learned about lab-grown diamonds, my, my initial reaction would, was that this should be a an entry point product um you know that uh, a, a consumer would buy a lower priced um synthetic diamond um and uh, their next purchase would then be a natural a beautiful natural stone but it doesn't the, the industry seems to have missed the the boat on that it's not marketed as such i think it's a very good point and i think there is an op- interesting opportunity there i mean uh, we've certainly had interest in our product for uh, mothers buying it for their, their teenage daughters where I suspect they, they typically wouldn't have been considering a, a more expensive natural diamond product for that type of gift. So you know, it's not difficult to imagine that if you get younger women interested in jewellery, and in particular diamond jewellery, albeit a lab-grown diamond jewellery at a relatively early age, um, yeah, quite easily that they might become interested in, in migrating to, to natural diamond jewellery later in life. So I, I think that's yeah. a, it's a perfectly valid point. I, I agree nobody's really pushing it today, but I think there's opportunity there. Well, well, that's where I think differentiation becomes such an... I mean, as it is, it's, it's, um, it's probably the, the most important um, um, aspect of, the, of this lab-grown natural debate. And, and I, I applaud you guys for, for really um, making uh, stressing the point because uh, we don't see that clear differentiation... Um, amongst other growers and um, even on the retail level. Um, so, w- I mean, over the last year, again, it's been a hot topic for the industry. And uh, I looked at our, our our most read stories on diamonds.net and, um, and four of the top five were about lab-grown. Um, half of the top 30 were on the, the, the synthetic um, topic. <clears throat> and by the way, when we write a story and we, we, we choose our headlines, um, you know, it's a, it's a question of whether we use the word synthetic or, or lab-grown. And, and we, we have a certain character limit on our, on our headlines. But um, certainly um, synthetics is a much more emotive word to use than, than lab-grown, and it draws in our readers much uh, much more, uh, they're much more engaged when they see the word synthetic. Um, but that, that's an aside. And my, my point being that um, o- over the last year, uh, there, there's, people are con- confused about this issue. Um, and so I was wondering, wh- what are the misconceptions that people within the trade have about um, Lightbox that maybe you, you want to um, clarify? Well, I think you, you touch on a much broader point there about the need for transparency and clear communication around this product. Because it's very clear that there is still a lot of confusion out there, certainly amongst consumers, but I think also amongst the trade. I mean, I would hope something that we could all agree is the most important thing is that consumers get clear, straightforward and accurate, reliable information that then they can base their own purchasing decisions upon. Uh, it's been very clear to us that when we've run our, our pop-up stores this year, a lot of consumers walk into those those stores and they have no idea what lab-grown diamond is. They get confused. Is it uh, another form of simulant like moissanite or CZ? So I think there is a big education job that the industry has to do. And I think that, that really should be one of our highest priorities at the current time. And I think it's in everyone's interest to do that as, as effectively as we can do. Because I think consumers that are confused are liable to make 
mistakes and the wrong decisions, which isn't going to be helpful to anybody in the in the longer term. Right, and uh, well, that, that starts with with the trade, and and my, my feeling is that there's a lot of confusion within the yes. trade about it. Um, and I think w- when we spoke um, last time, a, a few a few months ago. Um, you you mentioned that a large part of your strategy in this first year is is really going out and ed- educating the ed- educating the trade, right? Yes, absolutely. And mm. um, we've we've given several presentations already over the last year trying to cover exactly that. Uh, we've we've got our presentation coming up on on Saturday uh, at JCK this week, where again we're going to be trying to do that just in a an unbiased way to try and set out the facts as to what lab grown diamonds are. Um, what this product represents uh, and and what's possible with it and uh, you know ultimately if we can get that message through to consumers uh, I, I think they're smart enough to make their own informed decisions on the right. product. So, so has the response softened? Are, are people more res- receptive um, to your message than they were a year ago? Yeah absolutely look yeah. I think when we first launched this time last year for the first few days there was just uh, an element of shock around the announcement it I was think. wonderful it was a, a journalist dream <laughs> really well I, i'm glad we helped you with your job for a few days um but um i think you know things have calmed down a lot since then and i think uh you know more and more people are coming around to this and taking an irrational approach and understanding what this product is and um i think hopefully over time seeing that there, there's really an opportunity here and not a threat this is a, a new material it's it's diamond, but it's not the same as natural diamond. They're two different products. I think my view that they're complementary products, and I think that that drives a lot of opportunity. I think particularly in this accessible pricing range between two hundred and a thousand dollars, you know, we know there are lots of women out there spending that sort of money on handbags and pairs of shoes. There's a great opportunity here, I think, to put a, an exciting jewelry proposition in front of them. Right, and and for our listeners that that aren't so so familiar, um, the the light box model is um, based on a eight hundred dollars per carat um, uh, retail price. That's exactly right. So uh, all our stones, whatever the colour, white, pink, or blue, are all priced at eight hundred dollars a carat. So it's four hundred dollars for a half carat stone, eight hundred dollars for a one carat stone, and on top of that, there's just a modest setting charge, which would be. $100 if it's in sterling silver and $200 if it's in 10 karat gold. So again, it's part of our approach to try and drive transparency here. Uh, consumers can very clearly see and understand how our different jewellery products are priced. Right. Um, how, how did you come to the $800 per carat? Very simple. Um, if you look at the manufacturing process, what you actually find is the cost of making these stones is roughly linear with the, the size of the stone made. So if you're going to make one carat stones rather than half a carat stones, uh, you literally start with a slightly larger substrate and have slightly fewer of those substrates in the reactor and you need to grow the process for a little bit longer. So for one carat, it takes approximately three weeks rather than two weeks for a half carat stone. Uh, once you do the sums on that, you find the cost of making a one carat is roughly twice the cost of making a half carat stone. So in terms of a while pricing, obviously we have to take our total cost of making the product we need to put some sort of margin on top of that because, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing this as a, a commercial business where we need to make a profit. But that's what led us to the, the $800 account pricing model. All right. So, so it's essentially um, your, your pricing is based on cost rather than value, which would, again, differentiate it from a natural diamond. Well, I think natural is very different because pricing there is 
obviously dependent on the, the rarity of the stone. As we all know, large natural stones or very high quality natural stones are a lot more rare than smaller or lower quality stones. So it's not surprising that they have a much higher uh, value associated with them. When you're talking about a manufactured product like a lab-grown diamond, I mean, when we run our reactors, we can choose to make half-carat stones that week or we can choose to make one-carat stones. Uh, one is not inherently more rare than the other one. Uh, so really, the, I think it's a very natural thing that the, the pricing should be related to the, the, the cost of manufacture. Right. And it's not only size, you, you're, um, you've, uh, you're able to control the, the, the quality, um, dare I say, color clarity of the, uh, of the stone. So, which brings us to the, the issue of, of grading, yep. um, because uh, Lightbox decided not to, to grade um, its product. Whereas other, again, other growers are piggybacking onto the natural um, diamond uh, valuing of of their stones and using grading reports um, to uh, to form a basis for their for their pricing. Um, so wh- why why isn't Lightbox um, uh, using a grading system to um, for its quality control? Yes, I mean we've been absolutely clear on this that we we don't grade our stones. Um, Again, I think the reasons are very simple for this. This is a a manufactured product where we have a high degree of control over the the quality of the product. I think it's very important for people to understand that just because we don't grade doesn't mean it's a low-quality product. Quite the opposite. We have very rigorous quality standards in place. Uh, As we manufacture our product, the quality of the stones is checked at multiple stages throughout the production process. And it's only if it passes all of those quality criteria that we accept it and we actually make it into end product and supply it to the consumers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have very exacting uh, quality standards, but we don't choose to grade because at the end of the day, the product we supply, there isn't a huge variation in the quality between the different stones. So it seems to us it would be a little bit pointless to grade them. Right. But I think any consumer that buys our product can be reassured that our, our product is consistently of a high standard. Um, and the insurance really is that is the, the Lightbox logo that we laser inscribe inside each stone. Um, every stone we supply over 0.2 of a carat has that inscription in it. And that is something the consumer can rely on as a clear um, sign that the, the stone was manufactured by Lightbox and it has met our exacting quality standards. Right, fair enough. I mean, the, the other issue um, related to, to grading, I guess, um, would uh, relate to, to treatments of lab-grown diamonds. And, and uh, again, here, here's, uh, there's a, it's a point of debate um, of which you've taken um, sort of contrarian stance that your claim is that um, you don't need to disclose the treatments to a... Uh, a lab-grown uh, grown diamond. Um, do you want to explain why you, you've taken that, uh, that stand? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you describe it as a contrarian view. I mean, I, I'm somebody <laughs> who comes from a technology manufacturing background. Right. I would describe it as the very logical position to take. Um, you know, this is a manufactured product at the end of the day. Why does it matter how many stages you go through in that manufacturing mm-hmm. process? Um, you know, if you buy an, an iPhone from Apple, you don't ask them how many stages that, that iPhone went through in the manufacturing product. What you rely on is that they're making it to specification and it's past quality standards. And when you buy that product, it's fit for purpose. I think exactly the same here. In my personal view, it's, it's a little bit of a nonsense to talk about, you know, it mattering whether you've treated a lab-grown diamond or not. It's a manufactured product to start with. This is just another stage in the manufacturing process. I mean, if you take an extreme example, 
Uh, I mean, our products are all uh, are CBD diamond stones, but if you had an HPHT manufactured lab-grown stone, would it really matter if it had gone back in that press a second time or a third time? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, our view is it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think we've been quite transparent in that we've said our white stones we don't treat anyhow. Um, uh, there is no post-synthesis treatment. There are treatments involved in our manufacture of coloured stones. That's part of the, the recipe, if you like, for, for, for producing the pink and the blue colour. I think it's up to other manufacturers whether they want to disclose treatments or not, but our personal view is there isn't a need for it because it's, it is a manufactured mm -hmm. product. Uh, very different to natural diamond where I think if you apply a, a man-made treatment to something that's a natural stone, then I think that absolutely is something that consumers should be made aware of. Right. Um, I, I guess it goes back to um, how you determine the value of the stone and, and if you're basing that on a grading report um, where, a, where a treatment would, would enhance the, the grade of, of the diamond. So, so perhaps I'm saying that you co you, you're contrary to, the, to the, the, no the normal or the, the conventional view in that it seems that Lightbox is the only brand that's not, um, not grading its, uh, its, its lab-grown stones. And for that reason, you would take the um, the view that it's, as you say, a manufactured product that um, that uh, doesn't really matter what the what the process to get to that end end product is. Absolutely, um, you know, it's. Um, I, I think you know, perhaps the two subjects are, are interrelated. But as I say, we view it's a manufactured product. What matters is that it passed the appropriate quality control standards. I mean, if I can give an example, when you buy a car from BMW or Mercedes, you don't ask them to grade that particular model of car that you bought. You rely on the fact that they've got exacting quality standards in mm. place and that they wouldn't sell you the car unless it had passed those standards. Right. You know, our right. view would be it's exactly the same for a lab-grown stone and you know, our view on treatments is, is quite simply, it's just another right. step in the manufacturing so it, process. Is, is, is there a third-party... Um, quality control that uh, that it's going through is there, there a standards bureau that's um, you know that's uh, that's that's checking how your you know your production process um, beyond even actually the um, the 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 product the the quality of the of the product and um, but also in terms of the the ethical standards that um, that the the product is is adhering to um, is there a is there a structure in place that um, consumers can be assured of the um, of the standard that um, that Lightbox is is uh, upholding? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we we produce these these products to very high standards, and I can assure you that our manufacturing facilities, uh, you know, we put a huge emphasis on issues like health and safety to ensure that our our, our employees are safe. Uh, quality is inspected both by our own internal staff, but also we have quality specialists that we rely on from outside the company to come in and inspect the quality of the product. Right. Um, the, the Diamond Producers Association put, uh, put out uh, a report recently about um, the carbon emissions um, that, uh, that, or the, you know, the energy consumption of, um, to produce a, a natural diamond versus a, um, a lab-grown diamond. And, um, you know, the claim was that mining is actually then, you know, as a result, um, more environmentally friendly than the process to create a lab-grown diamond. Um, how does Lightbox approach the, uh, that? I mean, you, you guys are building a, a new facility in, our, in, in Portland. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, so is this something that's, uh, that's in that discussion? Um, explain to me the, the, the approach when it comes to, um, to energy in terms of uh, an energy consumption in, uh, in, in producing a, uh, a lab-grown diamond. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Just as energy is consumed in mining natural diamond, energy is consumed in, in manufacturing lab-grown diamond. Um, I can't comment on the DPA numbers because um, you know, clearly I wasn't involved in their uh, preparation. Um, what I can say is I think we are very fortunate in that we have Element 6 as our supplier of our raw material who have a very advanced manufacturing technology, I think probably advanced of many of the manufacturers that are out there. And because of that, their energy consumption per polished carat produced is, is relatively low compared to many of the other manufacturers are out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, our numbers are somewhat lower than you would have seen in that DPA report. But it is a very important area to us. And we are very keen to continue working on this area and whatever our energy consumption is, reduce it lower in the future. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the reason for the selection of the, the location for the new manufacturing plant, uh, which is in Gresham, just outside Portland, Oregon. Um, you know, one of the attractions of that is a part of the world where there are very high levels of renewable energy. So right. of the electricity supply that's coming into that site, um, at least 45% of that will be from renewable sources. So that's one thing that we're doing to uh, minimize our impact on the environment. The second we're doing is we are continually working at improving the efficiency of our, our processes. Uh, if we can make them more efficient, we can make more lab-grown diamond per kilowatt hour of power going into those processes, and that is an ongoing activity for us. And again, by continually working on that and making improvements year on year, uh, we, we hope to very much reduce our carbon footprint into the future. Right. Is, is that something that you'll use in your marketing? Is, is, that, a, is, is that something that um, in your... In your, um, your your trials with um, with consumers and in your in, in your discussions in your pop up stores, that consumers are asking about, and is that something that would be a draw card for the, for you to use in your in your marketing of Lightbox? I mean, to date in our marketing, we've not made any claims about environmental benefits, and I don't think we have any plans to do so because we are aware that we do consume energy, and um, I think it's more important that we focus in on actually reducing that energy consumption. Um, I think in terms of consumers' awareness on this issue, there, there is some interest out there. Um, I think it's something that very much varies between individual consumers as to how important an issue this is. Uh, but as I say, uh, we're not making any claims in our marketing that you know, buying a light box diamond is somehow good for the environment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our focus very much is actually just improving our current performance so in the future that every polished carrot we produce has a, a lower electricity consumption than it does today. Fair enough. And um, I, it, it would be interesting to hear if other lab-grown um, producers would be on board with that uh, and are on the same sort of um, uh, track to reduce their carbon emissions and energy consumption. And um, I, I'm wondering... Um, Firstly, what what is what has been the reaction within the lab-grown growers um, to Lightbox, and secondly, um, is there a discussion between Lightbox and other other growers in the in the industry? Um, I think it's fair to say. I mean, we're very much focused on getting on and running our, our own business, <laughs> so we don't spend a lot of time talking to the other lab-grown diamond manufacturers. 
Um, we run into them occasionally at trade shows and the event um, and other events like that. But uh, you know, it's not something we're not actively working with any other lab-grown manufacturers at this time. Uh, going back to your environmental issue, I mean, I would very much encourage everyone in the industry, not just the lab-grown diamond manufacturers, but also those involved in, in natural diamond mining. I think we should all be working to reduce our carbon emissions. Sure, sure. Um, I, I mean, w w one of the, the concerns about uh, about the, the, the lab-grown segment is that it's, it's lack of structure. Um, and and there have been some initiatives, um, you know, Lab Grown Diamond Association. Um, there's a new council, I believe, that um, that's been formed. Are is that something that um, Lightbox would consider joining and being within that unofficial official uh, framework? Yeah, look, I think we're in the very early stages of this industry. Um, as you say, I think there are new associations that are forming. I think that actually, in the fullness of time, will be a positive. Uh, development and if we find bodies that uh, you know we feel are appropriate and you know align with our values as a, a business I think we'd be very happy to consider joining them. That would be interesting and I, I, w I would I, w I wonder what the expectation in terms of the standards that they set would would require Lightbox to to join in that conversation. You know. I can't answer that today because <laughs> I, I don't know what standards they would have, but I think we'd be right. very interested in having a discussion yeah, with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we said from the start, some of our clear goals are to bring transparency to this this whole space, and uh, which I think is in the, the best long-term interests of the, the wider lab-grown diamond industry. So um, I think any any anybody that's interested in doing that is, is somebody we'd be very happy to talk to. Um, perfect. So, um, so maybe if we, if we can just change topic, and uh, if you want to give us an update on your operations, I know you're um, you're you're working on uh, you're building a new factory. Um, so, if you can give us an update on that um, first, where where are we in terms of the the facility in uh, in Portland? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually at the facility earlier this week, so uh, it's very exciting to see that that developing. Um, it's basically the construction is well underway now. We have a, a building shell that's in place, and uh, the building itself should be finished towards the end of the summer. Uh, that's going. Um, very much on schedule at the current time and uh, I think uh, the building looks great already so we're very excited about that. The next stage will be to start putting the, the deposition equipment and manufacturing equipment into the plant. As we said in the past that will uh, take a number of months to do but our expectation is still is that production cap capacity will then come online uh, early quarter one next year. Okay, and, and and we're looking at an annual production of uh, was it, it's five hundred thousand carats rough carats. Right? Yeah, I mean probably the more appropriate number to use is it's two hundred thousand polished, polished carats, right, uh, which okay. is the end output. I mean obviously it won't be two hundred thousand polished carats from day one. It will take time to ramp that up, but by the time we get to the end of twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one, we should be producing at that level around about two hundred thousand okay. polished and, carats a year. And where's the polishing done? Is that you're working with uh, with with outside manufacturers? That's to, right. To we have an product. external partner that's doing the, the cutting and polishing for us. At and the that's in time. the in the United States or? That's in India. In India, okay. All right. Um, and so Lightbox um, produces in the in the in the United States, and then the goods are polished in India, and then they brought back here for distribution. Ultimately. Well, there's a, there's another step. They then go to. Uh, Thailand to actually be manufactured into, into jewelry, jewelry of and course. then it comes okay. back to, to the US. So of course, um, that's that's going to be the model 
uh, 12 months from now. At the right. moment, the raw stones are actually manufactured in Element 6's plant in the UK. Right. And the, the jewellery design is... What is the process in terms of the jewellery design? Yeah, we have um, several freelance jewellery designers that are working with us here in the United States to, to design and guide that process. Um, which brings us to the retail rollout. Um, you expressed your intention from the beginning that the idea is to be in retail. Um, you launched the online portal um, in September. So what is the timeline in, in terms of rolling out to um, brick and mortar? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, we actually we launched the e-commerce at the end of September last year. Uh, that's gone uh, very well for us. It's, it's exceeded our expectations. But uh, I think it's also fair to say that uh, you know we've learned been learning a lot from that process in terms of which products sell, which products don't sell. Uh, you know, one point that's come across very strongly is, as I said already, the the interest in the coloured stones, which right. is yeah. higher than we expected it to be at this stage. We always thought it was a exciting opportunity in the long term, but we hadn't expected such strong customer interest so early on. So I think we're, we're learning a lot from that and we're feeding that into refining our product range uh, and obviously looking to grow the e-commerce the e offering. Uh, and we will be expanding our e-commerce into to Canada and shipping to Canada over the summer. Okay. Um, so that's another development there. But you're absolutely right. It's always been our plan to move towards wholesale supply to retailers. Uh, that remains the case, and uh, you know we are working on that. And uh, our hope is that um, we can at least get an initial trial underway, uh, perhaps with a couple of retailers in, in quarter four this year. Mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, uh, when this really starts to get interesting is next year when the new production plant comes right. on, and right. then for the first time we really have significant volumes of product available, and then that would lead to a, a much more significant ramp up in wholesale supply mm -hmm. to retailers in 2020 and beyond. What is the profile of retailer that you that you sort of envision yourself working with? Um, what, is, what does Lightbox look like in a jewellery store? I think it's a good question, and I think that very much depends on how our discussions with retailers go over the coming period. But we would see the product being quite widely sold. Um, certainly, I think, into uh, you know traditional jewellery retailers, whether it be chains, regional chains or, or independents. I think we're very open to talking to all those types of retailers. But I think there are other opportunities as well. I think department stores are another various, okay. very obvious uh, distribution channel for this product. Right. And I think we intend to explore all of those opportunities. And, uh, clothing boutiques, you know. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think this could appear in time in, in distribution outlets outside those that you might traditionally associate with jewellery retail. Right. But um, that we're still very much planning to work with traditional jewellery retailers and, as well. And of course, there's a very strong emphasis on the on the branding because uh, you know it's a very, very um, intentionally branded um, product yeah. that uh, that that would be the look of within the store would need to um, be consistent with that branding. I would imagine. Yes, I mean obviously we want to work with partners that can can help us support the the Lightbox brand. Um, um, so yeah, um, that that's certainly part of this. Great. Well, Steve, thanks um, so much. It's been uh, enlightening for me as always. Um, and it's, uh, it's certainly a, a space that's just very emotive um, for, you know, it, it, it stirs the emotions in the industry. And I, I wonder how long that'll, that, that'll last. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, as we've mentioned a few times in our discussion, the, the differ differentiation is just, um, just key. 
um, in this uh, in this uh, debate that we're embroiled in. So um, I, I look forward to following your your um, developments as we as we move forward. No, thank you very much, and for for giving me the opportunity to talk today. Very much enjoyed our discussion, and hopefully we we'll get the opportunity to talk again in the future. Likewise, likewise. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay.